Hey folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Mishka Katkoff, and today I'm joined by Phil Hickey, who heads marketing at Seriously, a company that was acquired by Playtika in late 2019. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about Seriously's top franchise, Best Fiends, and how have they been able to continue to grow ever since the game was launched. We're going to talk about their very unconventional and sort of a methodical approach of building a brand first, and how much pressure there has been to follow the latest performance marketing trends from shockvertising to extremely misleading ads. We're going to talk about how to build and run effective and lean marketing team in games that sits far away from the game team. So Phil's organization sits in LA and the game team actually sits here in Helsinki. And finally, we're going to talk about what's the best way for a game and marketing team to work together. This was a really fun podcast to record. I've known Phil for for years and years. We used to work together at Rovio and um, just super happy for Seriously Success. And, and they've been doing great under Playtika. So this is a, a great podcast also to kind of get a hint of what it is to to be working as an autonomous studio in a, in a powerful, big corporation. Hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Uh, as always, there's in the end some jobs that you can possibly find that, that seriously. But anyway, I enjoyed it. You'll enjoy it. So before we start, shout out to our amazing sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is the Games Marketing Insights for 2021 report that has just been released and is available to download free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful user acquisition and monetization strategies through a suite of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash marketers for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsflyers.com. 
Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. So we want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. Welcome to the podcast, Phil. Thank you for having me. I, I love your I love your background. You're sitting in LA, but you have the uh, the Northern Lights behind you, and I'm here sing, sitting sitting up in North. And what do I have here? Like a savannah behind me. So we should just switch our background. Good good for me. I just wanted a little. It's Christmas time and wanted a little piece of Finland. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good for it's good for your calls. So, folks who don't know seriously. And seriously, a lot of people do know seriously, but let's let's talk about the company. So you're mainly known for Best Fiends. And what what's very interesting about Best Fiends is you've been pretty much growing ever since the game was launched, originally in the mid-2014. So I wanted to start off the question is like, how have you been able to grow Best Fiends pretty much quarter over quarter after quarter, year after year for such a long time? Yeah, that's a good question. And we, we, we ask ourselves that every month because, it, it, you know, this industry always changes. But, I, you know, I think it, it started with the vision of what the company was and, and how we could build a brand on mobile. And, and we approached it, you know, a lot of us who main co-founders were from Rovio and we saw the kind of power of brand versus, versus um, you know, your traditional mobile game. And, and the fact that, you know, I, I guess we went with the philosophy of two things. We wanted to make the Pixar mobile. So we wanted really high quality experience for people. And we wanted... Um, you know, I think we looked at it if like the biggest creators in the world from from the olden days, like, you know, Walt Disney, you know, where would he be creating right now? And we figured that mobile is where he'd be creating as well and taking advantage of that thing, that that platform. And I think if you think about um, building a brand, you can, you know, on mobile, you know, you have you have it in your pocket everywhere you go. You're you, you have the audio ability. And, and what mobile gives you is also is you're actually like physically interacting with those games and playing it. So so we saw what could be possible and we just. We believed it and we just made a challenge of trying to make everyone else believe it as well. And 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 we knew we couldn't compete the same way other people did. And and obviously you have a life cycle, you know, things are different when you have venture capital money and you're allowed to lose, you know, like you have to make investment to eventually make money. So so there's different strategies for different um different points in the business. But uh but I remember our, you know, starting off for the launch, I think we had a hundred thousand dollar marketing budget which just seems like pennies for most companies these these days and we put 70 percent of it in the pewdiepie and uh he was growing at the time and we had just read an article in um i think it's like variety that said like who are the most the biggest celebrities in hollywood or the most influential celebrities in, in hollywood and i think pewdiepie was like number three behind brad pitt and somebody else and i was like huh that's interesting um and see what a big platform was we knew that 
70% of YouTube views were on mobile. So it was easier click to download. And, and, um, and we only launched on Apple and, and, and we did that. And, and, you know, he, he screwed the video up a little bit, but he, he also made good for it. Uh, you know, I think he called us best friends the whole episode, which, which was a nightmare. And, you know, our, my heart sank, uh, upon hearing the first video. So, so that all got fixed and it was good. It was a good lesson learned there because, you know, we've always had a little trouble with best friends and best fiends. And, um, and once you get best fiends, you don't forget about it. It's amazing. But until you get that, th there's a lot of mistakes. So, so it uh, actually helped us address that from day one, but we saw more downloads from him than we did from the app store featuring that first weekend. And we're like, ah, oh, this could be something interesting. So wait and a minute, so, you got one video with PewDiePie, PewDiePie in 2000, what, 14 for 70,000? Yeah. Seventy thousand dollars. That's a steal. <laughs> it was a steal. It was a steal. That's you a know, steal. It, yeah, I don't. That's I, like I, a big. No that's like buying a Bitcoin in two thousand fourteen. <laughs> exactly. I have no idea what he would cost now, but I, I guarantee it's not that. But uh, and he was he was good. He was a good partner. It was it was it was interesting. It was different for him, and and you know I have to say he was he he uh, he did good on it, and and we're you know that that helps starting starting the growth. But you know in the end, like he does a lot of sponsorships and his fan base is young and they move on from thing to thing. And, and we developed that strategy into, um, you know, I think Rosanna Pensino was the first one that really kind of hit a better demographic for us. And she, you know, she didn't want anything to do with it at first. Um, she's like, I'm not a gamer. Why are you guys asking me? But I said, you know, our philosophy is like, anyone's a gamer. Anyone with a mobile phone can play a game. So, so that worked out and that, that really helped us build momentum early. And, um, the platforms were super interested in it. You can imagine Google was super interested in us kind of building marketing off of off one of their platforms. Apple was super interesting. No one else was doing that. Um, you know, we're figuring out how to measure it and 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 optimize and all that kind of thing. And and we grew. And 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 since then, every year we're trying to find out something, something new or somewhere different that people aren't competing, and then trying to be first at it or most aggressive at it to break through. And and we've done that kind of continuously since 2014. That's that's really interesting. So who came up with an idea of let's put in 70% of our marketing budget into PewDiePie? Well, I think at that point, it was a uh, three-man <laughs> conversation between Andrew Stalbo, Petri Yarvileto, and myself. Uh, and we said, let's just go for it. I mean, we got to do something big that if, if we're saying we're building a brand, we got to make it feel big, right? And he's the yeah. biggest one on that platform. And, and um, yeah, it took... It took a bit of guts and it also took a bit of, um, you know, there's a bit of P PTSD after, after uh, seeing, um, seeing, seeing the first cut of the video with best friends throughout the whole video, but, uh, but he, he made good on it and it did well and, and, and we were off. That's amazing. That's amazing. That, that's, that's one of those things that, that is, you know, swimming against the current, doing something totally that you shouldn't be doing that actually changed the whole trajectory for for the company so that's a that's a bold bold uh, bold statement i remember i think it was like um a gaming insider con conference i think they used to do those back in the days i think i met stalbo in um in san francisco and he was talking about about you and he was like he didn't i, I think he forgot that i know you because he was he was talking about that um yeah, we have this marketer and he likes to, our, our head of marketing likes to do things differently and we're trying different things. And I was like, 
it was it was sounding a lot crazier when he explained it that you're gonna you know start doing start doing all the things that you did that were in the end very successful but that just speaks of it that you have to be really bold and and kind of believe in what you're doing and and that may open up a totally different growth path you do and, and you have to start off somewhere and, and and those were a bit more you know I, there's always been this you know brand marketing is a bit out there and you're not thinking and and, and there are people like that you know that don't think about, I mean, if you don't get, if there's no KPI and there's no downloads, then what's the point, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, like you can't just do brand marketing for brand yeah. marketing, but as we've, as we've grown, we've become, you know, a lot of companies are data, data led. And I would say we're more data informed and we still kind of rely on our gut feeling to make some decisions, but we definitely use the data to verify it and to measure it and to optimize it. And, um, and we've done that, you know, historically and, you know, early on it was, it was, the big, the big bet for us was YouTubers and influencers. And that really made a big difference in the company. And then, and then um, talking about being data informed when you could still get a lot of individual data from Facebook, we um, our, our head of data science, we had him look at what's the difference between our players and payers. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and there was one difference that showed up even internationally, which is weird was the love of country music. So our, our payers love country music, our players, weren't so hot on it. So that that gave me an idea to build a profile. You know, it's not so direct. I mean, there was a lot of country music we could target, but like, what does country, people that like country music are generally more rural. They're big box shoppers, pick up. generally feet, pickup trucks. They're open a carry. Lot, a lot of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, stay at home moms, you know, head of the head of household that stay at home yeah. and stuff. So we were able to, we were able to um, build a profile and that, that was the second big boost that really let us take off was was investing in that and and that you know we did some pretty wild things too we invested in terrestrial radio in the us because you could get such a cheap cpm and such high reach and frequency in the red states you know particularly midwest south um you know that didn't necessarily resonate on the coast but we were able to drive growth tremendously on the back of that and and you know you get so much reach and frequency that you know the performance channels start performing better because you know, people are more aware of it. Yeah, yeah. It feels like it's something people are talking about it. So, so that was, uh, you know, that was probably the second big driver and that, and that allowed us to open up before in performance channels, we we're mostly doing very targeted Google, Facebook, and that allowed us to get some traction on a little bit more up the funnel on some, you know, on some of the networks. And then, and then, um, and, you know, people thought we were pretty crazy for, for doing radio, <laughs> but, it, but, you know, sometimes you just have to do these things. And then, and then, you know, funny enough, we're on a podcast now. I'd say currently in the last year, podcast has been our 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 biggest, strongest, best returning channel. It just yeah. um it, it's uh it's something you can scale. It's a growing industry that's that's like no other. You get uh, you know, we've we've always wanted the power of endorsement and radio, we use local radio hosts to help endorse and then in podcasts, you obviously use the host or the producer to, to do that. And, um, you know, going straight into with our demographic, going straight into true crime podcasts was such a no brainer. I mean, it almost felt like it was handed on a plate because it's just the perfect audience for us. And, and, and um, you know, finding messaging that works there, you know, because like, you go into some pretty dark shit on these uh, <laughs> on, on, on these podcasts. And then and then, you know. The host, you know, the host is telling his story of, you know, when I want to get away from, the, you know, get away from this, um, this genre, or when I want to escape, this is a perfect game to play and, yeah. and, and, uh, and, and, and things like that. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's, you know, continually trying to find channels that other people are on, you know, and, and exploit them aggressively and being the first there is, is, I'd probably sum that up as our kind of backbone to, um, to, to continued growth. So you said, uh, not data led 
data informed, right? Data informed. Yeah, I, I would, that's I like, how I describe us. I like that. I like that. Um, so, yeah, I think it, I think it's interesting, right? Because yeah. I mean, there is like the more data you get, there is some paralysis by analysis sometimes too, right? Because it's just so hard to. You can't do anything without an A/B test. Exactly. Exactly. So we're we're always looking for the perfect marriage of creativity and data, and and sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we get it wrong. But but we we um will then optimize and move on to the next. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's true. Like the biggest successes usually come out of out of the most craziest. Like not the craziest, but come out of the, something that other people haven't tried. And you know, like my my personal my like the biggest prediction mistake I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> and probably ever do would be saying that uh that supercell is a bubble when they started doing the uh, the ipad games i remember that vividly when they distributed ipads to everybody in their company i was like what a bubble like <laughs> right, right well you know sometimes you get it right sometimes i get it wrong right <laughs> i was also young and maybe had a couple of drinks anyways <laughs> But I was very data led because back in then, you know, iPads weren't even a thing. It was just totally new. So yeah, there was no scale. There was no scale there. Yeah, right? exactly. And it's just it's like yeah, that's just being data informed. So let's take a step back and, and talk about how seriously started. And one of the first things that you guys did at seriously was build a brand book for best fiends. You've also been, as you said, really active in using various top of the funnel marketing channels, such as the the influencers where you started off. You had sponsorship. I think you sponsored uh, a football team. I'm going to call it, uh, for Americans, a soccer team. Uh, was it Norwich? It was some some of the... Um... It's Nor North City. Yeah, North City. We've, we've sponsored them twice now. <laughs> Almost. Uh, and then, um, not not Chelsea yet, but maybe one day. Not Chelsea. <laughs> I think our, heart, our, our hearts are in East Anglia. So I think if, yeah. we, if, we, if we do that again, it'll stay there. Uh, yeah and uh you had animations and i remember the billboard so your office is somewhere in venice because i remember the billboard on the uh, on the second street somewhere yeah uh, yep and, uh, and you started doing all of like most interesting part as you said like you started doing all of this before it was cool so so um so what kind of led you to this unconventional approach of building a brand first was it really the uh, the founding team of of Petri and Andrew coming in from from Rovio and kind of keeping that as a as a as a as a cornerstone and more importantly what has kept you on this path versus doing what everybody else has, has been doing because you've been on this since like 2014 and there have been various performance marketing trends uh, from from advertising to shock advertising to the misleading ads to everything, but you've stayed true on your path of kind of like finding these things like you know radio in red states. Like what? How how difficult has that been to stay the course? Yeah, I, it's it's been difficult. I mean, the more the bigger you grow and the more eyes on you, the more you want measurement and, and accountability on everything. And, and we and we take that serious. I mean, we measure things as best we can. We um. Our data science has come up with an amazing uh, survey, survey, and survey in the game. That's that's over time. We've we've got it pretty accurate, and it comes to in the first before level thirty, so new users, and it kind of asks where you've where you download that, and then they can cross reference that to see if that's correct or not. If it's organic, you know, we use Uplift. Um, but a lot of these channels have become much more measurable. Like TV, we're doing a lot of CTV, the Roku's and the Tubies and the um, 
you know, the Hulus of the world and, and the, you can, you know, measure via IP address and digital radios quite measurable and podcasts are getting more measurable. So that's all coming, but that's been the hardest challenge of staying course. But um, so, so to answer your first question, um, yes, I, there was definitely an influence of, of, of what happened at Rovio, you know, it was interesting. It was mobile, it was pop culture. Um, and I think, you know, I know talking the three of us in the early days, like we all have an affinity for brands that we've had an emotional attachment to a long time. For example, the first time Andrew and I met at Rovio, we were at Lucasfilm and, and not the first time, but one of the first times we had a good conversation. And I was telling him like how much I love Star Wars and that my son's middle name is Anakin. <laughs> um, and he's like, really? I was like, yeah. He's like, you know what? I've always had this affinity for Indiana Jones and my son's middle name is Indiana. <laughs> and right there we clicked on, you know, brands have literally infiltrated our life and become part of our namesake. And, you know, Petri's always had the, you know, aesthetic from all of, all of his amazing titles. He's led at Remedy and, you know, one of them became a movie and, um, you know, Max, Max Payne and, and all those titles. So, so it was kind of built into the DNA. And, and if we're going to work this hard and start something, um, we wanted, you know, we, we just know that, that to, to keep us motivated and to, to build it out, the the IP and and the, and building the brand was a really important part of what we wanted to do. Um, mm -hmm. So so yeah, it's been ingrained since day one. And then the second question you were talking about, you know, all these different channels. Um, you or know, staying the course, staying staying the course, staying the course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, staying the course is hard, right? I mean, it, especially if you have a miss, and you and we do have. I mean, we, like anyone who runs the studio and knows that, like. You know, it's as they say in Finland, 50, 60, some things work and some things don't, but you got to test and optimize and move on. And, uh, and, you know, some things like, you know, we try, we try everything, you know, we, we, we set test budgets and we kind of, we review and stuff and, you know, like billboards, just, you can't measure them. You can't, you know, we did have that one on second street, but that was also, we had no company branding on our office. So that was our company branding. And you know, it was right in the heart of Google and Snapchat and stuff. And so we just had that one billboard. I saw that there was something on some date on that billboard for some event that was like three months past due. So I called them up and said, Hey, you know, you haven't changed this. Would you be willing to give it to us for a year for cheap? And it just became our, we could experiment with creativity and it, um, you know, so many people now they would be like, I saw your billboard campaign. And it's like, Oh, you've just driven down second street, that's third street, you know? Uh, and that's it. So, um, so, you know, some of those things work, but you know, it's just a belief and it's part of the culture to, to try things and try different things and be aggressive with those tests. And, and it's, it's worked so far and hopefully we can, you know, we stay that course. Uh, I have a, I have actually a question, um, a different one. So you started off and you had actually two offices and they were 10 hour time difference apart. And I've of course right. worked in, in Helsinki with San Francisco based companies in LA is the same time zone. So how did that work with you guys? Like how was, was that in the beginning and how is it going? Well, yeah. I mean, what the, the good thing is, is until fall of 2014, like Andrew lived the summer there and, and, and I was already in Helsinki. So we got to spend some of the formative time before launch altogether in the Helsinki office. And then when we went to LA, it was just Andrew and I, and, and we slowly built that team up with the, from from there but um a, a lot of telcos i mean i was kind of used to it from the rovio days but it was the opposite like i would be on late night calls with there and i'm much more of a night person and my thoughts are much more um my thoughts are clear and my creativity 
moments come at night. And so it was a hard adjustment for me personally, going, <laughs> going to all the morning calls, but, um, but you just make it work. And we invested in a, a good video call system early. Um, and, and we just made that a habit of just making sure that's what we do. And, and uh, there are days, there's days still that the last thing you want to do is have the 7 a.m. video call with Helsinki, but you, you know, it's just part of the deal. And um, seeing each other, it's important because, you know, when you're, when you're out of mind and out of sight, you know, people can forget that there's good work going on there. And so it's important to be able to see each other and, and have that connection as, as we, you know, try and tie in product and marketing and, and do that as best as possible. Because generally through the history, and you know, this product and marketing definitely have a natural opposite magnet effect, you know, and, um, and, and that's one thing we, that's another thing too, is we thought from day one, is like, how do we make it seamless? How do we share information and allow each other not in the decisions, but at least, you know, to be involved in the process of that. And that's, that's worked quite well early on. Hmm. How does, how has that changed now with Platika in, in, in the, uh, well, Platika is out of Tel Aviv. So now you have, you have more morning calls or how does that work? A, a few more morning calls. I mean, you know, I think they're, you know, and we can talk about, you know, Platika, but, um, but, they've been wonderful and they've allowed us to kind of be an independent studio. So we have, you know, weekly or bi-weekly calls with them and it's another, it's just another other morning call, but they're, they're, they're pretty good and flexible. And, and sometimes it's better for their late night as well, because everyone's home there and have, you know, has kids. So sometimes their late night they'll call and it'll be during our daytime. So it, it's worked out. It's been, it's been pretty seamless. What, what has been sort of like the biggest, uh, biggest difference now that you're part of the Platika family because uh, looking from the side like Platika of course social casino that's their bread and butter uh, but they're not well creative is, a, is an interesting word but they're they don't seem to be a company like seriously like they're 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 extremely data driven and really really good at growing and when you look at all their acquisitions seriously as well every company that they have acquired has grown and, and they haven't, you know, they have the city state model, but it seems to me that they're giving some kind of resources to you guys to allow you to continue to grow you, Wuga, and, and, and the other studios that they've acquired. Definitely. And, 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 you know, the Platika, um, you know, partnership has been wonderful. I mean, they bring a lot to the table that we weren't good at, we need, and, 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 you know, we bring some things from our side that, that they want to, um, learn and, and kind of move into, you know, some of this kind of brand and IP based um, mm -hmm. things. And, and I had the first impre same impression of you of Platika, but getting to know them, it's quite the opposite. They're very interested in creative. They're very interested in being aggressive and taking chances, um, you know, building out characters. And, and you're seeing this like, like, you know, Bingo Blitz um, with, with the character that they feature there and, and things like that. So they've done a really good job. And I think they're gonna, can't speak for them, but I mean, I, I I think they're very interested in that part and in, in, in whatever kind of perception is out there about them. It, it, it's, it's quite the opposite. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, what they've brought up to us is, is this, you know, sense of a, a lot of stuff on the product, right. And a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of opportunities and, and, and for marketing particularly, you know, we discuss a lot and they've helped us implement, you know, one of the biggest things that fueled Wooga's growth was getting a survey in the game and getting to know their users better. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there's a lot of resistance sometimes about things like that to it, take people away from the game and stuff. And, and rightfully so, you know, but, um, but uh, Wuga was able to find some great data points. I mean that, you know, Platika has a huge consumer intelligence team um, that we meet with regularly. They're, they're helping us on things like that and looking at 
some competitors and, and, and just really help us kind of be even more data informed and, and be able to evaluate these channels. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's lovely to work with them. And, and it's really, it's really, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people thought, well, why like this, does it does seriously invest fiends fit in the portfolio? But, but um, I'd say absolutely. Yes. And, you know, you have the games that they're known for, but you also have some other games that are coming up that are, that are, that are quite, quite interesting as well. So I think, um, I think that it's been super interesting and I think we're just scratching the surface of our ability to work together. And I, I'm expecting, especially next year, some of those early things that we've been working on since the acquisition to really come into fruition this year. So, so 2021 is going to be pretty exciting. That's awesome. Uh, so I one more question about Playtica is, so we had a Chris Petrovic on, on the podcast, actually, well, this is going to air a little bit later, but <laughs> we had them, just recently, as, as of this recording, he was talking about Zynga's M&A uh, acquisition, how they changed and how they were you know, able to turn around and, and become a good at acquiring companies, just like Playtica is. And one of the things is that he spoke of is, is well, the city-state model and the way that after acquisition, they don't, you know, they don't force on you. They didn't come in with like a Zynga playbook. This is how you do it. Everything you've been doing till this day is wrong. No, no, no. It's, it's basically they offer different kinds of services and the company can choose out of those services if they want to, or they can continue using over the one and they can mix and match whatever they want to do. But here are all these kind of options that you can use to fuel your growth. Is that the similar kind of approach with Playtica? Yeah, very similar, uh, very similar. And they have a huge playbook of amazing things they've tried on all different brands and different, different life cycles. And, and, you know, I can't really speak from their half, but I mean, they've been nothing but supportive and nothing but interested. And we like, we, the best, the best thing is the learning sharing sharings that we do between each other. And, and that, that automatically gets your mind. Well, you did that. Well, how do it, like, how did you do it? Do you have some kind of, you know, <clears throat> software analytics or consumer intelligence that you did then the, yeah, the data share, the, 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 the offering that they have and, and, and the experience and how good they are at what they do at the job is, is impressive. And, and we've learned, I mean, we've learned an incredible amount and, and it's, it's like you said, I mean, very similar to what sounds like what Zynga is doing is super smart and, and that's shown a lot of success from their, their acquisition. So, um, so it sounds like that's a, that's a, that's a good model Zynga has and, and, uh, and, and feels very similar to, to what Playtica offers. So let's, let's get back to, to seriously and, and talk about your team, you're the marketing team. So how were you able to build and run this effective and, and quite small marketing team compared to the competitors? And especially that it's sitting so far away from the product team. I mean, on your side, there's brand, there's UA, there's creative, there's probably product marketing, data and engineering. And so all the BI tools needed to, to run performance marketing. So how do you keep that team lean and how you keep them effective, how you keep them motivated and how do you keep them connected with the game team that is sitting literally on the other side of the world in a really, really bad weather? Yeah, exactly. Well, it also helps them be available for our questions and our, <laughs> our meetings as well, right? Especially at this time of year. But um, like you said, it, it's got to be lean and we invested into experienced marketeers and, and we didn't go the route where we just overhired, but we really honed into the hiring process and making sure we have people with a lot of experience and who are motivated to actually make a difference. And then also to have the mindset to, to be aggressive on new channels and, and, um, and optimize and and aren't afraid to take some chances. So so that so so keeping that culture is important. And then obviously um, 
you know, what I, I spoke briefly before, but that relationship between product and marketing is so important. I mean, it's just, um, it's, it's something that's naturally like oil and water and you have to find that common ground to, to, because especially now, like, I mean, the product marketing is part of the mix and taking people on different journeys and segmentation and things like that open up different, different, um, marketing audiences. So, so, um, so just being able to trust one another, openly share, making sure we prioritize and not miss, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I don't have time this week to meet with product and get share, but we do it regularly. And, you know, sometimes it's a bit of a grind, but, um, but it's actually super important to the successes. And, and, you know, from day one, we've wanted the product to trust what we're doing and we want, we don't want them to find out about things later. And, you know, there's some really early successes is when we had those, um, when we were doing influencers with YouTubers, for example, um, we did besides endorsement or whatever, that was fine, but we wanted to actually get them in the game. So we hit all their symbols in the game. And then there was a, mm, they could drive the people to the game. Yeah. And, and they could find all 10 and then they could get a free character or character skin or something. So there was a lot of value added and, you know, these people love seeing the, seeing these things in the game, um, you know, part of their, part of their heroes in the game and, and the product team, um, you know, they actually found it really interesting and different. And they, they made that to be a, something that we can implement, you know, at seasonals for Easter, or if we have marketing campaigns. And, and so, you know, you, you develop these product marketing ties that are, um, that are, you may not thought of before, but um, the main thing from, you know, as I say to any marketer, it's just build trust with the product team. Like it's just, it's the most important thing you can do early. So, and, and how do you build that trust? Is it just by spending more time together or, or is it like the better reporting or educating the product team to understand, you know, performance marketing better? Yeah, I think it's reporting. I think it's definitely communications, number one, and then reporting. And I think, you know, you have to raise your hand when things fail and say it doesn't work. I mean, that's how you build trust, right? Like marketers are always trying to like put the shiniest mm-hmm. coat on, <laughs> on, 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 on what they've done. And, and it's not believable. I think I, and I think a lot of people hate marketeers like that, right? And and I know it opens yourself up when you say there are failures, right? But I think we have a, we we you know we have a weekly we have a Slack a Slack channel between product and marketing where we put weekly updates and everyone puts updates. And you put, I mean, at, I'd say the first couple of weeks everyone hated it because not everything goes well. But we 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 tried to create a culture where let's talk about our failures too and what happened and 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 um, you know, it's easy to you know shout about your successes but it's it's it takes some confidence and some trust to tell what's not working and you know sometimes we have bad updates sometimes we have marketing campaigns that don't hit but then we we talk about it we say what we're going to do and we go on and i think that's probably been the biggest area where we've built the most trust is, is that communication and then and then you know explaining why something did you know it's easy to say this went well or this didn't well but then to tell everybody on that whole channel why it didn't go well or why it was successful and i think that's you know, we've been doing that. I think we've had that channel for five years now, and it's 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 one of the most important backbones to our operations. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and you're absolutely right. I've I've been in organizations where where the uh, the marketing and the product teams were just clearly not trusting each other. Uh, you know, the marketing team might just say, "Well, the KPIs are just not good enough to scale." And the product right. team says, "Like, no, you're just bringing the wrong users, or you're overpaying. You're not trying hard enough." <laughs> Give me better users and I will get better KPIs. <laughs> it's like a chicken and egg. <laughs> it is. It is a chicken and egg. And there's always a little bit of that. And that's yeah. fine. But it's a good conversation to have. Like, okay, <laughs> if 
if this isn't the right user group, like actually not just argue about it, but like sit down together and say, why isn't it? Like, why, what, yeah. like, like, let's look at that cohort and see how it's, how it's matured and, and what, what was lacking and what we would rather have. So, yeah, uh, yeah but I, I feel your pain. It's, it's constant and it's naturally ingrained and you've got to overcome that to really be successful. And I think, um, I think we've, that's, that's one part I would say also is fueled, you know, talking to the beginning, what's fueled our growth is that, that combination of trust between product and marketing. Yeah. And, and the other one is just understanding what each other does. You know, I'm not saying marketing is easy, but I do say that, well, I'm not saying in any way the marketing is easy. I, I would just say that product managers or product people need to do a campaign on themselves. They need to try out different things so that they understand the tools that you're working with uh, versus kind of like on the high level guiding the marketing team. And the same thing goes to a marketer. So when the marketing folks can are actually playing your game, that builds a lot of trust because you can't, you know, they're not they're not just there to to market the game and don't even care about the, what they're marketing, but they're actually inside the game and they can talk about the latest update and they're truly the uh, they don't even have to be fans, but they're truly the players of the game because I've seen that happening also in, in these organizations where your campaign manager might not be even playing your game. He's just like, yep, just run this, didn't work cool what's up what's come what's next when is the update when should i you know switch switch put the switch on so that's also horrible and that kind of breeds that bad culture between product and marketing you know what that is a huge point because that's something we expect people to play the games and 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 have an opinion about the games especially on the marketing side and and there has been you know history of people that didn't and, and they didn't last long in the company because yeah. that is a problem i you know i i'm glad you said that that's a huge problem right if you're not and, and that's why we want to build the brand and do a game we enjoy because it's so much more exciting and keeps you motivated to do it. But if you're, yeah. if you're not playing the game and you don't love the brand and you don't breathe it, like how is, how are you supposed to sell someone else to do it? It's impossible. Exactly. Exactly. And that's from the product side, just, just a wink for all the marketers, like from the product side, if the marketing person who's working on your game has is whatever, if you have leagues, if you have levels, whatever you have in your game, if he can turn or she can turn and show the game, how far she's in the game, that's, that's, that builds credibility. That's it, because that's time investment into the product. So now we're speaking the same language. If that person hasn't played your game and is in charge of marketing, of course you don't trust that person. <laughs> it's it's dead, dead on arrival at that point, you know? Yeah. It really is. And, and, you know, I think you can, uh, like, it's good to also, you know, marketers are naive a lot of times to what the product has to go through to mm -hmm. ship an update and QA it and, you know, put the monetization spins on it and things like that. But, you know, sometimes taking a step back with naive eyes is good for the product that like, will give us feedback on the next update. And, um, you know, you know, we've, we've, a couple of our best sales have come from marketing suggestions because uh, just from playing other games and seeing, you know, you know, especially, you know, one of the one of the monetization mechanics is like we changed our offers to when people are happy and when people have had successes versus just putting them at levels and things like this and people are more interested in continuing at that point so um so so sometimes the mark you know marketing is able to feed back into the product and and um help that but but i agree like if you're not going to play the game and you're not interested in it i mean like the hours and you have to have the respect for the product team I mean, yeah the hours they put in and and the pressure they're under to to kind of get it out i mean it's incredible and 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 a lot of people don't have that respect and don't care and it's 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 never going to work yeah and in the studio work. studios the thing that if you put a hot seat 
next to the product team for a couple of days a week for the marketer, that that's going to solve the communication problem. Seriously, is clearly an example that you don't need to sit next to the marketing team to build the relationship. You just need to invest time into the building of the relationship. That is, is absolutely different than, than being in the proximity of another person. And I couldn't have said it better. And sometimes they probably don't want to see the marketing people anyway. So, yeah. so they've got enough to deal with. So yeah. Now, on a day to day, if you're sitting next to somebody, I don't care. Like we're, we're working on a totally different thing. We're not having a, like, I need you in the meetings when we're talking about the next campaigns, we're talking about update, when we're talking about switch and the, uh, and the personas that we're after or whatnot, uh, latest consumer, consumer research, any of that, that's important, but just sitting next to the team is is not important. <laughs> like no, it could actually have negative effects, right? Yeah, yeah, because they they'll be just quiet there and sitting, and and they don't make any contact because they're busy doing their own work, running campaigns, exactly. analyzing. So, so it's um exactly it, it's it's that, and we've done a couple of things to to Petra and Andrew's credit. They've um you know we've this year we didn't have it, but the last two years we've had a summit, which is we we trying to go to creative places that inspire creativity across market. We try and be as creative in our marketing as we are in us. Mm -hmm. in our product and vice versa and and we did our first one in la and it was amazing for a lot of how the how you know how thinking folks to come to la for the first time and 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 kind of be inspired of what's going on here with tech in hollywood and then um and then i think everyone was super inspired last year we went to japan and the way they build their brands out of mobile and 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 just think about how they do it differently you know and talking about doing things different and leaning in i mean that's a whole nother world that we we're still not ready to explore would love to at some point but it was so inspiring and, and um so there so there's that as well that's another way to kind of kind of uh bring us all together on a shared experience where we bond love it so i'm not gonna take any more of your time uh but i am gonna ask for the, all the listeners what are the sort of open positions that seriously has uh that, that you guys are looking forward to hire because i'm sure that a lot of listeners who have been listening to this are yeah interested in, in perhaps joining uh and building best fiends yeah for sure so uh, i mean we'll start with it we have tons of product positions opening i mean tons and and we're building that up and we're building pipelines and we're building uh, you know you know dev and feature teams and, and things like that so there's a lot open in helsinki in la we have a couple positions open and um and um probably the the one that is opening soon is a position around around um brand marketing and expertise in in different forms of brand marketing. So that's, that's not quite open, but that'll be open soon. So we're always looking for someone that knows it, knows it, knows the industry or wants to learn the industry. And more importantly, has that kind of attitude of they, they want to be aggressive and try new things and, and then learn from those, you know, fail fast and learn and, and then move on to the next thing. And so, so that would be, uh, so that'll be open soon. And, and of course, if there's anyone that is interested in that kind of thing, I mean, feel free to email me directly at, you know, phil at seriously.com. Perfect. I'll, I'll add the, uh, the contacts. So yes. that position not open, but if they directly connect with you and they do have that background, then it just might be filled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's opening soon. It's opening soon. It's just, we're trying to get through the end of the fourth, fourth quarter right now and make plans for, for, you know, Q1 at the moment. So it's just been busy to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. <laughs> All right, Phil. Thank you so yeah. much for, for joining the podcast. Uh, a lot of like truly unique stuff that you, you guys have been doing amazing journey. And it feels like you have the, like the new beginning now with, with Playtica this year and the growth is just continuing. You got another best fiends games that is best fiend stars, if I'm correct. Best fiend stars. Yep. It's scaling up. So, 
So we're a two best fiend games and, and more to come and more brand marketing to come and more growth to come. Yeah. Thanks, Mitch. It's amazing talking with you and it's, it's, it's always good to see you. And um, thanks a lot for, for having me and, and uh, wishing everyone a great 2021 because, <laughs> you know, let's put this year, this vortex away yeah. from us and, and super excited to, for what's to come next year. So. Yeah. This, this was such a good podcast that let's just release it at 2021 just to start it off. nicely. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. I'm, I'm down with that. All right. Thanks, Phil. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much.